0: morning friends, morning. great to worship with you. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. We finished up Revelation last week, kind of a, uh, even when we do a topical sermon, we want it to be expositing the Bible, so kind of on a topic today, but we're going to be in the Word plenty, and then we will start in the Gospel of John next week, and um, that'll be great. That'll take us all the way through uh, November, December into January, and um, you know, whenever you're in the Gospels or you're kind of starting uh, to walk through one of the Gospels, it's a great opportunity to invite people, I think, just to be exposed to Christianity or to Jesus, the Gospel, for the first time. So even you kids, if you've got someone at school that you're thinking about witnessing to, it's a great chance to invite them to church. Um, we're going to just encounter Jesus uh, through the Apostle John uh, for a number of weeks, so This week we're in the Gospel of Matthew, if you would read along with me, starting in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the uniqueness of this gathering. It is unlike anything else in the world, for it is the kingdom of God come down from heaven, manifest, revealed. Lord, it's not a concert. It's not a Bible study even per se. It's not a meal together, even though we're going to be sharing a holy meal. It's something altogether different. It is the announcement, it is the heralding, it is the proclamation that the king has come and is coming. The kingdom of God has come, has broken into this present evil age, and is plundering Satan's house. Lord, we are on the offense. We are not on defense. We are on the move. You promise that the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail In other words, we will mow them down, we will run them over, the forces of darkness, by the power of the Spirit and by the power of the Gospel. And that is happening this morning in a very seemingly weak, humble, insignificant, unpowerful way. And yet it is the power of God and the wisdom of God manifest in the church. This is your plan. And Lord, what an amazing grace that we get to be part of it. Who are we? Who are we that we would taste of the powers of the age to come? By being together and worshiping. Only by your grace. Lord, forgive us for taking it for granted. Forgive us for our lack of thankfulness, our lack of response, our lack of laying down our lives for you. If you have died for us in such a profound way, how could we not die for you every day, giving our lives as living sacrifices? So, Lord, uh, in light of your holiness, in light of the, the grace of the gospel, we this week have fallen short. We have sinned. And we ask for your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we have an assurance of pardon, that by his wounds we are healed, that in his suffering we are made righteous. I pray for all of us that we would believe that afresh and anew today, that you are for us and not against us, because we are in Christ Jesus. Speak to us now. Help us, Lord, to gain wisdom today from your word, from the fountain of wisdom, you, your person, Jesus Christ, in whom all the treasures of, of wisdom are found, knowledge and wisdom, that we would, um, Lord, even if we're not dealing in black and white today, that we would grow in wisdom and sensitivity to the spirit and to the word and, and would please you in all that we do as a church. Help me now. Help me to deliver faithfully the message that you have for your people. In Jesus' great name, amen. Well, I want to talk about the multi-service question today. Should a church, should we have just one service? Or, if we're getting full, should we have multiple services? And what I hope to accomplish today at a minimum, at a minimum, is just to help us all to take a step back and think about this, to, to pause before jumping to a conclusion, to think through some biblical principles, um, to try to apply God's wisdom, not just our preferences, which we all have. And a lot of things when it comes to church, we have preferences and in just life, okay, we, we want to pause and say, okay, as best we can tell, what's Scripture leading us toward? At a maximum, I hope that after today we will be a little bit more of one mind. You know, uh, listening to Philippians yesterday just, just felt like listening to Philippians on audio Bible, and I was struck by Paul saying, you know, I want you to be of one mind. I want you to be of the same mind, and I rejoice when you are. So, we're going to have difference of opinion on different things, but as much as we can, if we can as a church, just kind of be pulling together, pulling it, and, you know, even if we disagree a little bit, okay, we're together. That's my hope. Let me say up front, this is not a law sermon. This is a wisdom sermon. This is not a, thus saith the Lord. This is a, ah, it seems good to the Holy Spirit. It's not, we're not dealing with right and wrong. We're dealing with what, okay, what what seems best? Trying to discern that. As elders, we have been wrestling with this question for the last few months as we've obviously needed to think about it and talk about it. And here's where we're landing. We feel it's best to have one service. We feel it's best to have one service. There are so many Healthy, good things in this that we want to preserve, that we, we see God working. Um, and praise God we're only having this conversation because he's at work. Amen? Amen. He's at work. And, and yeah, we're going we're gonna to deal with the facility stuff. And, yeah, we're working through all that. But it's good to just stop and magnify our God for what he is doing. I need to do that because I can get deep in the weeds. I can get in the details. I feel responsibility for shepherding. I feel I love our church. And it's just good to pause and say, Lord, you are working. Ministry is happening. Grace is coming into people's lives, your lives. Lives are being touched by the gospel. That's why we do this. That's why we exist as a church and as Christians. You know... Um, God doesn't need us. (laughs) From the rocks outside, He can raise up children of Abraham. He doesn't need us. But in His goodness, He is pleased to use us. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that kind of God? I could just do this by myself, but I'm going to let you enjoy being a part of the process. I'm going to let you enjoy seeing people come to Jesus and be saved and grow and, and, and die and go home to be with the Lord. You get to be a part of it. That is a gift. He's been answering prayer. It's good to pause and say, God is answering prayer. We pray. I know you pray a lot. And we don't pause enough and say, God is answering those prayers. Um, just one example. Like, there's a hundred that I could bring up. But one example. Wednesday nights, Awana, Jackie tells me, like, I don't know exactly the numbers, but it's full. Okay, leaders are full, they're they're doing great, but kids keep inviting other kids. Praise God, God, but we got, we don't have room for you. Yes, we do, we're going to make room. And she's talking to him, would you like a Bible? Maybe kids who've never been to church before. Yeah, I'd like a Bible. Can I give you a Bible? You would give me a Bible? That's amazing. That's what we're doing, and that's why we're doing it. So God is at work. We just need to say that. Um, And Sundays, I mean, you might have noticed we're a little bit full, uh, which is awesome. You raise your hand in worship. You elbow the person next to them. They get a black eye. That's fun. You miss some sermon notes, you just cheat off the person three inches away from you. It works out really well for you note people. And it's throwing me off, okay, because I used to know where everybody sat, and now I have no idea. It's very disorienting, so if you could just fix that, that would be helpful. The obvious question is, why not just add another service? Why not meet again? And I don't mean like an evening service. Um, Some of our Reformed brothers and sisters, okay, they'll have an evening service, a morning evening, different. It's a different sermon, different everything. I mean a duplicate service. We just repeat what we do in the first service. That's the conventional wisdom, right? I mean, that's just what we naturally think of. And you probably need to do a little history to understand why um, we've come to that place where we just, you know, in our age, we just think that way. And uh, that's very common, which doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily. Just because it's conventional wisdom doesn't mean it's wrong. But I want to take a step back. I want to think about some biblical principles. I want to think about maybe some unintended consequences of multiple services. I've experienced the whole gamut in my Christian life. Um, Small churches, large churches, one service, multiple services, one site, multi-site. At West Center, many of you were here 20 years ago uh, when we had two services, three services. And then eventually went back to one service. And we probably all have different feelings and, and um, experiences. We have different preferences, things that were good, things we didn't think were good. That's okay. That's okay. So let's, let me start with the arguments for multiple services. Why do good churches, good pastors do this? What are the good reasons? What are the positives? Well, evangelism is the most clear the most persuasive. You reach more people. That's a good thing. More people hearing the gospel. That's a really good thing. Um, It's cost effective. You don't have to build. You don't have to expand. You just do the same thing over. So you save money. Another positive is the preacher gets to preach twice, so the sermon gets better. (laughs) I would like another crack at it some weeks, okay? Yeah, if you were coming, come to the second service. The sermon's going to be better. It also relieves the pressure of ministry limitations. So we don't have to worry, are we going to have enough seats? All right, It just relieves that pressure. And if you get full in another, you just add another one. You keep adding. You know, I saw something this week where a pastor was like, um, we're adding a fourth service. And we will continue to add as many as we need. It, it just relieves that pressure. People that we respect as a church, as elders, pastors, and we admire, have gone to this model. Um, this is not just seeker-sensitive, church-growth-at-all-costs kind of people who do this. There are people that we love, respect, read their books, um, listen to their sermons that have gone to this model, trying to sincerely obey Jesus. So I don't believe it's a sin. You know, We're not talking about sin here. And it's not that in an emergency situation, we wouldn't consider it. Um, You know, storm rips off our roof. First, the bats fly away. Hopefully find a new home, hopefully. But then we're probably not going to be able to meet here for a while or meet in the same place as one group because we won't fit. So, okay, we're going to do a couple services for a while, short term until we can get the roof fixed. God doesn't give us good structures to put the church in a box, okay? He gives us good structures, but it's not to put us in a box in a time of crisis or need, okay? If you're on the mission field and and you're trying your best to, to follow, all right, ecclesiology, how's the church supposed to work, what do we, there are moments when, okay, God didn't give you those principles and, and, and those truths so that, well, you know, we, we believe in, Immersion at baptism, but hey, I can't find enough water to actually get somebody under the water, so we can't baptize you. That, that's not why God gave us that. Is there water? Is there a Christian? Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You know, just hit them with it. Whatever you got to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, a quick word multi site. I'm not going to talk about that much, but multi site, it's related to to this question of multi-services. So if you don't know what multi-site is, it's basically, um, there's kind of a mother church, and then you have other churches in different locations. So the church is not divided as much chronologically, although they might have multiple services too. It's divided geographically. So you have in different towns, or even different parts of the country or the world, you're videoing the preaching, and the preaching is going into that church on a screen. So you're still calling yourself one church because you've agreed to maybe the same doctrine, the same constitution. If you're doing it well, you have a a campus pastor is what they'd be called, someone on campus there who's like a local shepherd pastor for that church in each place. But the main preacher most of the time is coming from that mother church, and you're not having live preaching where you are in your local congregation. In my judgment, there are some problems with that. Perhaps the biggest is the central identity of all the churches is this main pastor who is preaching. He's the one who kind of ties it all together. Okay, He's the one everyone's coming to see, everyone's coming to listen to, and you don't know him unless you go to that main church, the church that he's actually preaching live. He doesn't know you. So he's your shepherd. He's shepherding you through preaching, and preaching is shepherding, let me tell you. But he doesn't smell like those sheep. He doesn't know those sheep. They don't know him, they don't know his character. There's no connection other than a screen. So it's interesting. Many conservative churches who have adopted this model of multi site are reversing on that. They are saying, okay, all of our campuses, were making autonomous churches. They have their own pastor. They have their own elders. Live preaching every week because we realize as much as we tried to make this work and it seemed like a good idea, we've got problems. So that, that's just interesting. I won't say any more. I'll leave that there. Let me talk about multi-service. Three reasons why we are persuaded persuaded. One service is good and wise. Number one. Two services seems to create two churches. Two services seems to create two churches. Look at Matthew 18 with me. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And I'll just pause there. Binding here means the gospel, baptism, Lord's Supper, opening the kingdom of heaven so you can bring people in, you know, bind them in the sense of they come into the kingdom of God. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So loosing means like sending out. That's church discipline. A false profession of faith, a false believer. Again, I say to you, you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This passage is about church authority. In context, Jesus has just said if you have an unrepentant person in your church who uh, is professing to be a Christian but will not repent of a particular sin, here's the process how to deal with them. You go to them, then you take another, and then you tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Now, I think we all understand what he means by that is not tell your Christian Aunt Edna in Ohio. Hey, we got an unrepentant sinner, Edna, in our church. You need to know that. Or Hank down the street, who's a believer. No, he means tell it to your church, your local body, with the leadership of your elders. So we're talking about the institutional church. We're talking about the body of Christ here. Thus, when he talks about two or three gathered in my name, he's not mainly talking about a few of us at a coffee shop or a Bible study. And this is common. I think we think of it this way. That's certainly true. Believers are together. The Holy Spirit's there. Jesus is there through the Spirit. But I don't think contextually that's what he's talking about. He's saying, I am among you in a special, judicial, authoritative way when you gather as a church. Corporately. As a formal institution, the local gathering of the body of Christ. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. When you gather together as a church, do this and this and this. So there's a distinction between just us as Christians getting together, being together, and as a church. It is to each gathered local body that he's giving the keys of the kingdom. And What do keys do? Matthew 16, keys of the kingdom. They open and they close. You open, you bind through the gospel, and you shut that door through church discipline. You say you're a Christian. You're not living like Jesus. You have no intention to change. You're unrepentant. We have to treat you as an unbeliever. The keys of the kingdom. And and I just, I'll keep going in terms of explaining this. I know it's a little thick. We just got to pause and say, this is amazing. We're on earth. The kingdom of heaven is being opened to you right now. We are on foreign soil as Christians. We are an embassy. Like the United States has an embassy in France. That's not our territory, but there's an embassy there. That's a foreign country, but there's an embassy there. This is soil... Of the kingdom of heaven, guys. And when I stand up here, when 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 I proclaim the gospel, when we're having worship together, the kingdom of heaven is opening its doors to you. They are paying attention to what we're doing right now in heaven. Luke 12, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. So the kingdom of heaven is open for business, open for new citizens. Is that you today? Is that you today? Do you need to become a citizen of the kingdom of God? Because if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of a different country. The kingdom of hell. The kingdom of the world. And you say, well, how can I trust Jesus? He's, you know, I'll give you the kingdom. Well, that who gives the kingdom away? For he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's how you know. He made a promise. He sealed it in blood. The blood of the Son of God. So you should never doubt if you have come to Jesus in faith that you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And some of you need to hear that today. That if you come to Jesus with faith and you proclaim Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and you will come into the kingdom. This is a port of entry right here for refugees fleeing Satan's dark kingdom into the kingdom of God. This is where you come. This is where you come in when you hear the gospel, that Jesus loves you and died for you. And I promise you, because Jesus promised, if you come, On the last day, you will be on his right hand and he will say to you, come, blessed by my father, receive the kingdom that was prepared for you before the foundation of the world. What will that be like? We enter into it now in part, truly, but it's in part. And one day in full, the kingdom of God will come, consummated in all its glory. We just get to tell people, immigrate, immigrate, come in, come in. We open the kingdom through baptism. We open the kingdom through the Lord's Supper, through, as Matthew 28 says, teaching all that Jesus has commanded. Here's the point for the sermon today. When you have at least two or three believers gathering together with the elements that make a church, a church, preaching, baptism, Lord's Supper, discipleship, some kind of elder oversight, Jesus' special presence that he promises here in Matthew 18. He, I am among them. I'm here. He's here. Boy, that sounds like a church. You can call it a second service sure sounds like a church. If you've got all the attributes of, the, of a church in the first service, you got all the attributes of the church in the second service, maybe we should just call them each a church. Everything that we would say constitutes a church, it's there. Seems like that's what they are. Like if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. If you didn't know it was called a second service and you just walked in, you'd be like, this is a church. This, this is a church. Think of a, <laughs> well, let me say this. some You might say, church is not a building. Church is not a time that we all meet together. Church is a people. You say that, it's not a building, it's a people. That's true. But us being together and doing the things together that we're talking about is part of what makes us a church. Yes? Like, us being together, doing these things together, that's kind of part of what makes us a church. Think of a baseball team. What makes them a team is playing together on the same field, at the same time, same game. If you had different groups of players playing in different places and different times, I mean, at a certain point, you just say, well, that's two teams. That's a different team. They're not on the same team. They never play together. They're ne- they never are on the same field at the same time. And I know you baseball nerds are thinking like split squad games and spring training. Um, great, you know, for a, for a season, for a time, you need to be separate. Two games, same team. Two games going on at different, or, or nine o'clock, eleven o'clock game, whatever. But that's short term. That's that's to help achieve some goal in the short term, and then we're back together. It's not ideal. It's not permanent. Just like maybe if we had to, for some extreme reason, go to two services, we do that for a short time, but we'd be working toward getting back to the best, which is us meeting together. I've talked to a lot of pastors, Christians over the years who did mul- multiple services, and, and I typically hear the same thing. Yeah, it basically became two churches. It basically became three churches. Uh, one pastor writes this about his experience. He said, We were completely committed to remaining one church. I was determined it would work. Every elder committed to be at both services. The services were identical in every way. And we put fellowship time in between. So they asked people from the morning service to stay late, they asked people from the later service to come early and we realized we were creating two churches after about 10 months, came to that conclusion. So what they did was they went back to one service and they found a church nearby that needed help and they sent a pastor and about 30 members to that church. That seems really healthy to me. It seems, despite the best intentions, and they are good intentions, Two services essentially creates two churches. Number two, two services seems to undermine biblical principles. Two services seems to undermine some biblical principles that we would all agree on and hold dear um, unintentionally. First, preserving the unity of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Paul lays it out. This is what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And he says, live with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, zealous, working hard, making every effort to keep yourselves unified. I just think that's hard to do when you don't go to church together. I think it's hard to really be unified when you don't see each other, when you don't even know that someone goes to your church. And yet, you're one church, you're one body. I was talking to Dylan about this the other day, and um, before they moved here to Madison, they were in Sioux Falls, and they went to a church that had multiple services, good church. Um, and he came, when they moved to Madison, he came to West Center and met Bill Menke, who was our interim pastor just before I came, and so they're meeting each other. They've never met, and they're talking like, well, "You know, where'd you go to church in Sioux Falls? Oh, yeah, I went here. Where'd you go to? Oh, yeah, I went there." They had never met, and yet they've been going to the same church for years. Interesting. Difficult to bear with someone in love when you never see them. Difficult to be unified and be zealous to maintain that unity when you're never around them. Now, I, I think a megachurch, you could have the same conversation. It, maybe it's one service. Usually it's not, but even if it's one, it's so big. Like, I don't know the people sitting on the right side of the church because I sit on the left side. And that's something, I think, worthy of consideration. You know, Should that be really a multiplication of churches, not just we're getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Okay, we also lose some unity because the Spirit works differently in each service. He does. You can't control the Holy Spirit. You can say you're going to duplicate something, <laughs> He is not controllable. All right? Like you can't harness the wind. So, so something may happen by the Spirit's power in the first service that half the church experiences that doesn't happen in the second. It's just true. And so you say, wow, this was amazing. Like we were singing the song and it was da-da-da-da-da. You know, for once, pastor said something decent. And the other people are like, yeah, he didn't in our service. You know, we didn't sing like that. And so you have different experiences at every service. And, And I wouldn't say that's unifying. Like I love that we all have the same moment here. We all remember it. We could talk about it. We unify around. It unifies us. Second principle. First one was unity of the Spirit. Second principle that seems to be undermined is member responsibility. Your ownership of our life together. We believe. We we beat, beat it to death in a new members class. The Bible teaches elders lead. Congregations rule. Elders oversee and teach and guide and shepherd congregations get to have the final say on the big decisions. You are the final court of appeals if you're a member of our church, if you committed to our church. It's harder to encourage that culture when you have two services. Harder to encourage every member feeling an ownership and a responsibility. Um, I think it puts a lot of stress on a small group of people trying to pull off those services you know there's there's not everybody's going to be involved there's a smaller group and they got to do it twice they got to do it three times and and there's a there's an ownership that they feel but i think it encourages almost other people to come and be a little more complacent you know just what service you want to go to that's the main question those people are taking care of everything i just show up it seems to naturally give more power to the leadership you know, they're, they're, they're tying everything together. The elders are the one, you know, the, whoever your leadership is in your church, they're there at both services. They're making it all happen. It seems like you're, you're, you're saying, okay, we're not really involved here. This is a lot happening. You take care of it. You do it. You're responsible. You know, it just doesn't feel as much like a family where we're all pitching in. We're all working together. It feels less like a family. Third principle, last principle, seems to undermine, be undermined by two services is becoming consumeristic about church. I think two services tends to push us a little bit unintentionally toward thinking about church more in a consumeristic way. Me-centered, I want my preferences, I'm ordering church like I'm ordering coffee at Scooters. Okay? Okay. That's not of the Father, that's of the world, that attitude. 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, of course, it's possible to have one service and still have that attitude. (laughs) I just like it this way. This is my preference. I don't want to change. That's certainly possible. You know, just the, the, the structure doesn't fix the heart. The structure doesn't make the heart better, doesn't have the power to do that. It's more of a, a guiding, shaping, teaching what, what seems to be happening through the structure. This is why we want to wrestle with it biblically, because we don't want our preferences to guide. Because, you know, if I, if I start taking polls right now, it's a mess. Everybody's got different preferences. We could agree on very little, okay, But we're going to the Word. We're trying to say, help us, Lord. Help us. Give us wisdom so it's not just about me and what I want. Let me give you some examples. I think a consumeristic attitude that's fostered by two services. Well, I like to sleep in on Sunday. So I'm going to the second service. Or I like to knock out church early in the morning, have the rest of my day, football all the way, projects in the garage. So I go to the early service. All my friends go to the second service, so that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Or I like a full worship center when we sing. I don't want it half full, so I'm going to the one that's fuller because I like that. I mean, who doesn't? But I like more traditional hymns. I want to just piano. Um, so I'm going to go to the first service, and, and they do that contemporary thing at the second service. Which, side note, if, if you have a contemporary and traditional service, you've not only divided the church by time, you've divided them by musical preference. Okay. How about all the old people go to the early service, and that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I love old people in theory, but they're just old, and I don't... I'm a young family. Unintentionally, the church has been divided by age. Which is such a loss, and you know it happens. You know it happens. It's such a loss. Like we—I'm going to say I'm young, okay? We need the old people, <laughs> and the old people need the young people oh, to help them up the stairs. Now, just kidding. I couldn't help it. It's beautiful diversity in the body of Christ. It's beautiful. Unity and diversity. If it's all homogenistic, we're all the same. It's like this is one of the, okay, oh man, now I'm way off. This is a problem with children's ministry. That if we keep them so siloed and so homogenized all the way up through, they don't, they're not even connected. I mean, we do children's church for a couple years just as a mercy to the parents, okay? But then we want you in here, kids. You're part of the church. We don't want to keep you through 18 in your own little room and you've, you don't even know the church. You've never experienced anything except your little group of friends. That is not healthy. We want a beautiful diversity and I love that God has blessed us with that. I don't want to lose that. Now, no one ever says these things, guys. No one ever stands up from the front. We'd like all the 65-year-old and older to attend this service and uh, everyone else this one. Okay, We'd we'd like you to form little cliques, little groups of friends, and just stick with them, and whatever they do, you do. And we just have a clicky, nice clicky church. No one says that, but my point is, I think the structure kind of encourages it. Multiple services teaches you, without meaning to, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Lastly, number three. Third reason. One service creates good pressure to expand and multiply. One service creates good pressure to expand and multiply. You know, coming back to evangelism, discipleship, the Great Commission, how do you fulfill that? How are you obeying that if you won't have another service? You know, it's a good question. I think sticking to one service can have a really positive Great Commission impact. I do. Because it forces you to think about outsiders. It forces you to think about new people. It forces you to think about unbelievers. Like, okay, um, it's not that we're 50% full, we're 95% full, so. I need to be aware and cognizant of like what how they're processing that, maybe they're a little uncomfortable. How can I relate to them? Love them, welcome them? Can I move in in the row and help someone sit down? You know, it forces you to to serve, really. And it forces you to think beyond your church, your own church. So let me take the first one. Expansion, thinking about how do we welcome more people into what we're all enjoying the ministry? Right now, we are thinking hard, praying hard about how do we create more space here? How do we expand our worship area? How do we create more classroom space for our kids? Um, How do we update our facility? We're we're thinking about that. We know that we need to do that Um, because we want more people to hear the Word of God. We want people to be welcomed by Christ. So keep inviting people. Don't stop doing that. Please, keep inviting people. All right? You know, it, it's like, it's good for us. It's a good pressure. If a new family comes in and they got ten kids, where are we going to put them? That's a good pressure because we got to think about someone other than ourselves. This pressure also forces us beyond our church. It's not just about us getting bigger. It's not just about us. How many services do you have? Well, we've got five. Wow, that's amazing. It's, it's not about that. It's ultimately about the kingdom. It's ultimately about the Catholic Church, lowercase c. The universal church, the broader church. It's not just about us having more people. How can we be a part of a multi how can we be part of multiplying biblical? Gospel-preaching, healthy, courageous, life-giving churches in our town, in our region. That's a great question for us to wrestle with. How can we be a part of it? How can we join God in what he wants to do? Boy, is there a need for those kind of churches around us. Amen? Oh, my gosh. I, I tell our interns every year as they're, you know, thinking about ministry, they're going off to seminary, please think about coming back to this area because we need you. We need solid biblical pastors here. We we need them. For me, church planning, it's wonderful. Yes, absolutely, we affirm it. For me, I have a heart to see churches reborn and revitalized. How many of you ever heard of church revitalization? Raise your hand. Okay, so a few. So what this means is that you have a church, for whatever reason, they're in decline that could be liberal theology which is just i mean even statistically you go liberal on the bible you start saying oh, i don't think it, i don't like that i don't think it means that i don't the harder stuff you're going to lose people it's just a fact and that makes sense because you look more like the world so if someone wants the world can't they just go to the world why would they come to the church but you're you're declining you're losing people and a lot of times it's it's down to a faithful few you know there's 10 there's 20 there's 30 faithful often believers there who love their church, they don't want to leave, they're trying to hang on, but they can't hire a pastor because they don't have enough people, but they have resources, they have a building, they have other things, and they're open to another church that's healthy and willing to send people and a pastor to that church, maybe some money too, to have it born again, to rebirth, to revitalize. And this happens. And it's a beautiful thing because it's a two-for-one deal. Not only do you start and plant a new gospel witness, but you remove a bad one. I love that. That excites me. I, I think we need to be thinking about that. I'm just planting the seed. That is that something God would have us participate in? Now, you, you got, he has to open the door. Okay, that church has to be open to it. They have to, yes, we're willing to, new leadership. You know, if they believe in infant baptism, they got to be okay with maybe we're going to go a little different direction. You know, we have to have those conversations. But it happens, and it's a beautiful thing when it does. This is a good pressure, guys. This is a good pressure. Creates an impetus to expand, to plant, to revitalize. So, Let's be open, let's be in prayer, and let's be expectant that God is going to continue to do great things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We, as fallible people, we don't always get it right. Lord, I, I, I don't stand up here saying I've got everything right, that I see it just clearly, and that I couldn't be corrected or persuaded, but we just thank you for giving us even principles, guidance, wisdom, to help us make these decisions and to, to hopefully foster a growing, healthy, courageous, witnessing church. And Lord, I praise you for your grace. I praise you for your goodness and what you're doing in our midst. Uh, it's not because of us, Lord. It's it's because of you. And it's not to us, but to you we give all the glory. So I pray today that that for my brothers and sisters here, it would just be at a minimum wrestling with this, thinking about it, uh, and that those conversations could continue. We help. We ask you now that you would turn our hearts to this holy meal that you prepare for us in the wilderness of this foreign world. Lord, we are strange. Christians are strange. In the best sort of way, we are different from the world, and we need this meal, seeing the gospel, to help us on our journey home. In your name, Jesus, Amen.